Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Reggie's Expressions. But before we get started, I need to tell you about how great this application called Anchor is. That's the application that I'm using to record this right now. This application is great because it allows you to be able to record a podcast and do all the things that you need in terms of editing in one place, all right? I used this application before, and not only did I have to record it, I had to download it from this thing and add it to this and add it. It was just too much. I found out about Anchor, and I realized how easy it was. They have all the creation tools and everything that you're going to need right from your phone. You can edit, you can add music, whatever you need directly from the application. Like I said, it's all in one place. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. I can't reiterate that enough, all right? So all you guys got to do is go and download the Anchor app, either from your Google Play Store or your Apple Play Store or wherever you get your, your apps from on your phone. Or you can do it the traditional way by going to anchor.fm to get started. All right, guys, enjoy this episode. Thank you so much again. And don't forget, you can find us on Reggie's Expressions, and that's Reggie's underscore expressions on Instagram. Enjoy the episode. Hi, guys. It is currently July 27th, 2021. At this point, I have had about a month and a half of a vacation or hiatus. Um, for the sole purpose of me being in the middle of, you know, my, my season, I typically don't pick up again until September, October timeframe, but I figured I would throw in a bonus, um, episode, uh, for you guys and just give you kind of a, a midway update and what's been going on, um, in terms of, uh, just things, and then, you know, I am going to do a tribute episode to my mother, um, which, uh, you know, will give me an opportunity to talk more about her. The last time I spoke about her was in uh, reference to grieving and, you know, kind of telling her story and stuff like that, but I want to dig a little deeper in terms of my experience with my mother and <clears throat> as much as I possibly can. Uh, without getting too emotional, and if I do, you guys are more than welcome to be uh, front and center of that. But yeah, that that's kind of what prompted me to decide to do a quick episode. I'm on my way. I'm in my car, by the way. I am on my way to um, <coughs> go get a massage, um, as you guys can hear. <coughs> I have a cough, which kind of sucks because I have a pain. Uh, in my back so when I cough it makes that pain shoot and it also affects my throat which is really really different wasn't expecting that but here we are but uh, you know the last few weeks have been interesting uh, more or less because I you know uh, my mom's birthday happened um, <coughs> My last episode was a couple days before my mom's birthday, and I actually realized that I was a lot more affected than I thought I was. Her birthday came, and I just had a really interesting day. Um, 
I could definitely tell that it was heavy and it was a different day. And, you know, um, it was top of mind <clears throat> the fact that she was celebrating her 71st. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> 71st birthday in heaven. And it was just, I was just all over the place emotionally. Wasn't feeling it at work and I was ready to get off work. Um, once I got done, I actually did check in with my sister. Um, my sister was like, oh, I'm good, which <clears throat> upset me. But what I didn't do is consider the possibility of her, you know, grieving in her own right. Um, and, you know, that was just a sign for me that, you know, I had some unresolved issues because I was angry about her saying that she was good, you know. Um, so I really had to... <clears throat> take a, a step back and just kind of realize how much this was affecting me. So, um, after I got off work, I just went to bed. I was going through <clears throat> emotions of sorts, you know, emotions of regret and, you know, uh, mostly regret, regret in terms of, you know, making the best decision for her. Um, and also, dealing with, you know, the loneliness that I was uh, experiencing <clears throat> because I don't really communicate with any of my siblings anymore um, for the sole purpose of protecting my mental because some of the things that went down when my mother passed away, you know, think about people that I've come to realize, especially with me being in a, in a constant healing space and, you know, going to therapy, you know, um, to really flesh out some of these big issues. When you get to a level of healing <clears throat> and you see your counterparts who hadn't really tackled that yet come around, you can kind of re recognize the signs of when, you know, their anger or hurt shows and it rarely having anything to do with you. One thing uh, that I've learned in terms of therapy itself is it allows me to be self-reflective. <clears throat> it also gives me the, um, the ability to be angry, be sad, be mad, and not feel like I need to deflect those feelings because they're bad, you know? Um, a lot of, you know, uh, my siblings, you know, my family members are, I got to appear strong. So, you know, uh, people don't see that I'm hurt. Um, I'm not going to show my emotions because at the end of the day, that's a bad thing. And I don't need to talk about my problems because, you know, all I need to do is pray it away and fix, you know, God will fix it. <clears throat> but in my philosophy, as I've gotten older, that's not the case. You know, it doesn't behoove me to dump my issues to to God, per se, and not do the actual work required to purge myself of, you know, the, the drama, you know, the, not drama, I'm sorry, but the pain that I feel for oppressing those feelings. You know, very early on, 
I think that my anxiety started as a, you know, started as a result of me oppressing who I truly was. You know, I, I knew at a very young age that I was gay, but I didn't have the language to be able to explain it. And all of the microaggressions around me, you know, with family members and friends saying things that made me feel worse about who I was, you know, because I was coming to grips with being gay. I think that ultimately started the um, the process of my anxiety, you know, coupled with a few traumatic uh, issues that didn't really get a chance to, to flesh out. And just some, you know, incorrect um, thought processes on certain situations. And I know that I wouldn't have gotten the clarity that I needed had I not not decided to go to therapy, because it was it was a conscious effort. It wasn't a, it was a, it was definitely a conscious effort to do. Um, it wasn't something I was forced into, <clears throat> you know. And I had to have this rude awakening. It was kind of like, oh, this makes sense. And as y'all know, I'm a talkative person, so I love to talk. <laughs> so that's something that I, you know, enjoy doing. And it definitely gives me an opportunity to unload in a way <clears throat> to be able to fully express myself. So, but um, yeah, so that happened in the month of June. Um, and, you know, just going by through the motions um, as much as possible and just really trying to be the best I could be without denying how I felt. But, you know, I, the one thing about depression and anxiety is it's not something that can be dealt with on its own. And the idea isn't to get your family members to be completely like, What's the good way to explain it? To lose themselves to accommodate for your anxiety. Like, I have to do the work myself. And that's something that I'm learning with Carlos and myself that, you know, I think that my anxiety a long time in our relationship was priority um, because he was the sane one, quote unquote. But that wasn't necessarily fair to him. And, you know, it, it's not a realistic way to continue. So, I kind of had to adjust some things and, you know, anxiety is a very personal thing. Um, but <clears throat> I try to do my best with making sure that I'm honest about how I feel and know that what I'm experiencing is anxiety and that I've gone through this before. And the way my anxiety kind of manifests itself is little ticks here and there. I am hypochondriac sounds a lot worse than what it really is, but I'm the kind of person, and some people would categorize it as that, but I'm the kind of person that if I have this pain in my throat and I've never had this pain before, I can't get my thoughts out of it being something serious, you know? Um, and then I go through the whole process of, well, if I go to the doctor and they tell me that it's nothing, then, you know, what, what's going to happen? You know, how am I going to stop this? Or if I go to the doctor and they tell me that it is something, what am I going to do? You know, what time of day is it? I'm just going to have to deal with it. 
And sometimes, you know, those thoughts kind of, you know, weigh heavily on me. And by the time the day goes by, it's bedtime, I'm tired, and I sleep and I wake up and I'm thankful that I was able to wake up. You know, I, I made it another day, which I don't think that it should be like that, you know. Um, and, you know, talk therapy definitely allows me to be able to fully um, grasp the idea. But, you know, I, I do feel like some of this same um, residual anxiety is, you know, uh, from the lack of dealing with my mother's uh, passing. Um, you know, I, I couldn't really mourn. Um, in my opinion, mostly because I was the one that had to make the big decisions in, you know, my mother's care and funeral arrangements when she did pass away. That's a lot of a burden for anyone to take. And, you know, my, my, you know, siblings, unfortunately, weren't able to, to show up in that way where I would need help from them. And it's not completely their fault, you know. They're dealing with what they have to deal with also. And what they have, you know, more than likely did, you know, um, keep them from being able, because of their own trauma that they've had that they haven't, you know, reconciled with, you know, did keep them from being able to, you know, be there in that way for themselves, let alone anyone else. So... You know, I, I understand that process and I understand that, you know, it, it is a process and it takes time, but that doesn't mean that I'm not hurt by it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those tricky things. It's, it's tricky because you feel the way that you feel and they feel the way that they feel and we both feel that it's justified. And, um, you know, you get to a point where you know, what do you do? You know, that's the question that you ask. Like, what do we do from here? You know, how do we, you know, get past this impasse? Because we can't. We're stuck in that right now. We're still stuck in it. You know, being four months later, five months later since my mom has passed, you know, I still don't have uh, a, a, a relationship at all with any of my siblings. And, you know, that's quite all right. You know, I mean, at least for the time being. Um, there's nothing, nothing that I could really do at this point. And, you know, without going into the backstory at this point, I feel like I've done enough in terms of being the, uh, peacemaker that it has done nothing for me and putting myself out there is just continuing the cycle of me getting hurt. So I'm doing something different by saying I'm not having it. You know, I'm, I'm not going to be the one that's going to apologize or better. Yeah, I will apologize, but I'm not going to be the one that has to force, you know, a, a, a square into a circle. So there's that. Um, you know, dogs have been OK. Carlos has been OK. He's a little under the weather today as I record this. Um, you know, Kobe, Kobe, I'm so sorry. Kari is a beautiful young dog. He just turned a year. Rico's 12 now, Tuzi's five, and all of their birthdays in the, are in the month of June. 
Um, we did get an opportunity to, uh, to go to Mississippi. We traveled to Mississippi, so that was nice. My good friend's uh, wedding, and that was really fun. And, uh, you know, coupled with all that, just, uh, you know, uh, my anxiety that has been constant, um, which has been scary. Um, because at one point, or at some point, I want to be rid of anxiety. And it's scary for me to think that this will be something I'll have to deal with forever. But, you know, it's a walk. And it's definitely a walk towards progress. Still figuring out what my triggers are. And I'm not going to go through the list of what my triggers are. Um, because there's still many different things, but yeah, it's still, my anxiety is still affecting me, um, and being the person, the full on person I would like to see myself to be. So let's get into talking about my mother. Um, actually I'm going to take a break. And then we'll come back with the second half of this uh, talking about my mom and what kind of person she was. All right. So thanks, you guys. Um, we're going to get back into it. Just take a little bit of a break. And I will be right back. Hey, guys. I know I told you that me and Carlos a couple weeks ago went to the great state of Colorado more specifically to Denver and we found one of our new favorite places when we were out there it's called La Rola Urban Colombian Food is, is that right did I say it right love did I say it right yes I practiced before I started doing this but anyway we actually know the owner and no we didn't get any perks or anything like that but it is by far the best Colombian food I've ever had. Y'all know I'm picky. Y'all know I just really like chicken and, and cornbread and greens and whatever Carlos cooks. But they had some of the best empanadas that I ever tasted. I mean, other than what Carlos makes, because those are the best. Don't tell him I said, he's right here in front of me. He's looking at me. But anyway, I had the best empanadas possible. Um, I had arepas. I ate, it was a Colombian hot dog. I didn't even know they had a Colombian hot dog. Um, the meat was flavorful. Everything on the plate was amazing. Awesome. It's in Zeppelin Station down in Denver. So if you ever find yourself in that area and you want some good, authentic Colombian food, please stop by and tell Andrea that Reggie sent you. All right. She might do something nice. But if you're just expecting good food, that's probably what you're going to get. All right. So go out and check out La Rola, Urban Colombian Food. Did I say it right again, love? Okay, great. Go and check them out. Give them five stars. Tell them that Reggie sent you. And I promise you, you won't regret it. All right? You guys enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for listening to the show. And I'll check in with y'all later. Guys, if you are in the local Orlando area, this is for you. Um, I have to tell you guys this story. It is probably the, the, 
the best story ever. A few years ago, Carlos and I were frequenting the local Orlando farmer's market that they have. And the cool thing about it is they have a lot of sights and sounds and a lot of things out there that's great, enjoyable, good food, and just a good atmosphere. Well, obviously, you know, with the coronavirus, that has been limited. But the uh, farmer's market is open again. And it has one of our favorite people there. It's called Worthy Cakes. You can find them on social media. And you can also find them on their website, www.worthycakes.com. Now, this is the best way to eat cake, all right? They are in a mason jar packed with so much goodness and flavor for any flavor of cake you can think of. She has red velvet. She also has uh, a fudge brownie and birthday cake. And she also cooks them in gluten-free. As she says, cooking and baking cakes is not work. It is fun for her. She enjoys it. You can go to the website, www.worthycakes.com. You can order. And you can go to her physical location, which is in the uh, uh, Winter Garden area. And she will also be able to service you there. Okay. Her hours of business is from 10.30 to 6.30, Tuesday through Saturday. She's closed Sunday and Monday um, because she's normally at the farmer's market. And she also does the farmer's market in local Winter Garden, too, um, as well. So... Go down and check her out. And if you do go check her out, please let her know that Reggie sent you. Because Carlos and I absolutely love those cakes. I'm on my way down there now. I don't even care about the uh, 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 the farmer's market. Just kidding, I do. And I'm so excited to have her cakes because this has been so long. And I'm excited that she has a uh, storefront too. So go check her out. Tell her that Reggie sent you. And I promise you, you will not be disappointed, all right? We're going to get back into the topic, y'all. Thanks for listening again. Oh, wait. Uh, yes, I'm back again. <laughs> yes, I talked about Worthy Cakes, but realized that I did not give you guys the address. So this is what this is going to uh, be. Again, her hours are Tuesday through Friday from 1030 to 630. Saturday from 10.30 to 5, closed Sunday and Monday. She also does the local winter garden um, farmer's market on Saturday. She also does the local uh, Orlando farmer's market on Sunday, okay? She is out there now, and the address is 13391 West Colonial Drive, Winter Garden. And that's 13391 West Colonial Drive in Winter Garden. Okay? So if you guys want to go by there, tell her that Reggie sent you. And, uh, you know, see what happens. Enjoy it. Your taste buds will thank you. Trust me. All right, guys. I'm out for real, for real. Enjoy your week. Peace. So I am back. And, yeah. We, um... My mother was born in the 50s to Pinky Price and uh, Clement T. T. Price um, in the 50s. Um, like I said, some of this stuff I've, I've covered in a previous episode, but 
you know, we're, I'm going to talk about the, the kind of person my mother was <sighs> prior to the illness and, you know, the years of life that she, you know, uh, went through. But um, she was born to Pinky and Clement Price, Clementy Price um, in the 50s um, in Albany, Georgia. Um, her parents both hail from Leesburg. <clears throat> um, and, you know, had a complicated life. You know, my mother lost her brother at four years old. Well, he was four, and I want to say she was maybe eight. Um, and just being a woman in the 50s um, was a thing within itself. I, you know, you hear the stories about you know, segregation and all that other stuff. And, and my dad, uh, you know, remembers it vividly going through it. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to get my mom to tell stories because of her mental state. I think there were a lot of things suppressed in there, but I just would love to have experienced or not experienced, but had her talk about, um, uh, you know, the things that she saw and, you know, how she was able to get through, you know, just existing and being then. You know, my grandmother told a few stories about, uh, you know, some racism that she experienced, you know, with her being um, a mixed race because my grandmother is half. No, her mother was mixed. And then her dad was uh, Indian. And then um Yeah, so, and my grandmother was this really fair-skinned mulatto uh, woman with beautiful baby hair uh, with locks that were, like, super curly. Um, and, uh, it, it, you know, they were both beautiful people. Um, but my mom definitely had a hard life growing up. Um, she, you know, would have struggled as anyone, you know, during that time frame would have struggled, so... You know, I'm, I'm glad that my mom was able to make it through that and was able to kind of see the, you know, the the light at the end of the tunnel, considering she, you know, um, were born in the 50s and how bleak a lot of things were when it came to black people in general. And my grandmother identified as black. Um, you know, even though she's, you know, mixed race, she definitely identified as black, um, you know, with her mom being you know, uh, half black, half white, you know, she definitely identified as black. And my mother also identified as African-American because her dad um, was African-American. But my mom started to have kids at age 20. She had my uh, brother first when she was 20 years old. Um, and then she had my sister, my second oldest sister, um, when she was 24, had my other sister at 25, and then had me at 30. So, um, just talking with my father, you know, he discussed that my mom was showing signs of mental illness early on in their relationship. And, you know, being in the South and, you know, crazy, you know, had a whole 
that was a diagnosis within itself. Oh, she's crazy. Um, with some of the things that my dad had to kind of, you know, face and, and, and deal with, you know, him, him being, um, you know, someone that's barely out of the fifties and sixties and having to really, you know, be thrown into that situation and not knowing what to do. You know, my dad did the only thing he knew to do, which was to, you know, uh, get it out of get out of that situation as fast as possible now i remember having this conversation with my dad and he was telling me that you know him and my mom kind of hit it off and uh you know my mother had a he recalled my mom having a conversation with one of her uncles <clears throat> when he came around the house saying that if she were to marry somebody the only person that she would even consider marrying would be my dad. And, um, you know, they did get married and, you know, um, they got married, I think a little bit before they had my last sister, my, uh, second to the oldest sister. And then they were married about five years, um, when they had me. So, but my mom was a very delicate woman. She was very quiet, you know, almost mousy. My siblings said that, you know, mom was very sassy and, and quick and, uh, um, you know, the typical black mother. I mean, I didn't experience that because again, I was, I was younger, you know, considerably younger than my, my siblings, you know, um, and, uh, unfortunately, you know, well, I mean, not unfortunate for me, I was a baby. So, you know, when you're from the South and you're the baby, you definitely got special treatment for sure. But I don't remember my mom being mean, to be honest. And, uh, you know, it was, it was quite shocking to hear, hear them tell some of the stories of mama whooping them. <laughs> but I remember her being a very delicate woman, you know, very kind of quiet, mousy. Um, but I want to say that I got my sense of expression or expressing myself from my mother because my mom would talk to me, you know, um, not necessarily about adult issues, but she would talk to me about just her day and, and what was going on and how she felt about certain things. I couldn't recall, you know, specifically what they were, you know, other than the conversation about me asking my mother why she named me uh, Reginald instead of Richard, because I wanted my name to be Richard, but... I don't remember in detail, but I remember hearing words that my mother was saying. And it was almost like, you know, she was talking to me as if I understood. And I remember one time like, Mama, what are you talking about? And she was like, oh, I'm just talking, baby. And that was it. And I think that was probably the first time that I had ever um, kind of felt the connection to your inner voice. Because it sounded like these were thoughts that were coming from her Mine, obviously, but, you know, sometimes the things that are in your head aren't things that you're supposed to say out loud. And that's what it felt like. It felt like it was very her most interpersonal uh, thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was very interesting to sit on my mom's lap and just have that moment where, you know, we would sit down and, and just talk about whatever was going on at that time. 
um, in her life. Um, and, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, shortly thereafter, I, I couldn't tell you the time frame in which it was, but, um, my mom started to show signs of mental illness, uh, shortly, at least, uh, that I could remember. Um, and that's when things got really weird and, uh, and things took a turn for the worst. And we, which is me and my one sister, foster care with a whole bunch of other things that we experienced. But one thing about my mom is my mother has always recognized me and her kids as her kids. So, you know, the good thing about it was the fact that she remembered enough to remember us but other things in her life she and I think that was probably from the suppression of you know the things your mom does to to keep you know some of the traumatic things um from the forefront you know she couldn't recall a lot of those memories that she had and um you know previously so but um you know after we got sorted out and you know, uh, the decision was made for us to live with our parents. I just remember my mom um, being a little bit of a hoarder. Um, and I think that was just her illness manifesting itself in that way. Um, to where she started to collect newspapers and, you know, she was speaking audibly, loudly um, about people that I didn't know. She... Um, talked about Michael Jackson. She talked about, I don't really know what her, her lucid dreams, you know, were triggered by, but it was pretty evident that my mom was in a mental, you know, was a hundred percent consumed by that mental state, um, of voices in her head. Now, I don't have an actual diagnosis of what my mother had other than just hearing what my sister said, which was early Alzheimer's, which she had been diagnosed with that for a number of years. Um, but I don't know if it transitioned into more, you know, um, later. But, um, you know, it was a very interesting um, thing where I transitioned from being child to almost caregiver, where she had to de depend on others for her well-being at times. Um, my mother, unfortunately, if she did not, if you did not tell her to take a shower, she wouldn't. Um, if you did not tell my mom, if he didn't ration out her smoking, um, and what I mean by that, my mom used to, was a heavy smoker, you know, maybe four to three to four packs a day. Um, my mom would be left to her own devices and go back to almost being childlike where, you know, she would go and beg for, for cigarettes from my dad or, you know, my grandmother used to ration out her cigarettes and my grandmother, my mom, when I stayed with her, um, would come like six in the morning knocking on the door when my grandmother's sleeping, asking for cigarettes. And my grandmother used to give her a, a pack and a half a day and, you know, 
my mom was really just trying to smoke to feel good. You know, and my grandmother was looking at it in terms of like financial, um, you know, uh, looking at it from a financial standpoint being, oh, well, you know, you're going to smoke up all these cigarettes and I'm going to have to go buy more and, and all that other stuff. So my mom's illness, you know, although she was diagnosed with this, she wasn't really um, taken care of as someone with a mental illness. Um, she was kind of left out to to the world. I mean, I'm 15, 16 years old or whatever age I was at the time. I personally didn't know or have the language to reach out for my mom. I just knew it wasn't something, I mean, honestly, that I wasn't ready to deal with, you know. Um, having to be the son to take care of your mother, I think, would be... Uh, you know, a strong feet, uh, a strong situation, you know, regarding anything. And, um, but, you know, it, later on, I was a part of my mom's caregiving team in terms of making sure she was fed. And, and, uh, you know, I mean, uh, it was a grudge in terms of getting her, you know, keeping herself clean. At one point, my mom had a head for the hair. And, uh, unfortunately that hair fell out, um, because she wasn't, you know, keep maintaining it and she became bald later on sores, you know, around her head, her ears and stuff like that. And the question is, is, you know, I'm not saying all this stuff because I, I want you guys to judge, you know, me, I'm going to be honest with you. We really had no idea, you know, the severity or the situation that was going on with my mom during this, you know from time to time, I, I do, I do wish that I could have done more, but I don't know if I would have had the mental capacity or not even just the mental capacity. I don't know if I would have been able to, you know, have, I don't know if I would have done a better job. My grandmother did what she felt was best. And then when she passed on, that was transitioned to Trina. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, the uh, circumstances um, were less than ideal. Um, but, um, yeah, she, for as most as my, uh, most of my childhood, my mom talked to herself. She, you know, would be coherent enough to understand, you know, um, hear what I had to say. But for the most part, she was talking to others. And, you know, the sad part about it is I don't know. The sad part about it is my mom was a casualty of the, you know, the system. You know, how we were given that diagnosis, but we weren't given a lot of help around it. And I remember my mother being enrolled in this, uh, state funded, um, school, um, you know, for elders, um, you know, adult, uh, daycare, you know, mental, with diminished mental capacity. And they took her out for some reason. They said that her, uh, insurance doesn't pay, pay for it. And they used to come and pick my mom up and she would do arts and crafts and stuff like that. 
and um, yeah, they uh, Slater King was the name of the the place, and um, you know my sister didn't have the money to be able to continue to uh, send her there. So when they told her she couldn't come anymore, you know she couldn't come anymore. So yeah, it was a very unfortunate situation for my mother. You know, um, dollar signs or whatever the case may be. I don't even know if my sister even had a follow up with them to even talk about you know, other alternatives or whatever the case may be. But yeah, they, they, you know, decided to take her out of the program. And, you know, um, at that point, my mother would start roaming the neighborhoods in Albany and Trina would get her cigarettes. And then when she would smoke those, she would go down to the corner store and, you know, get people to give her cigarettes. You know, I mean, the people that they knew her and I would say my mother was blessed to be able to, you know, because there were some less than um, stellar people who were out there on that corner. You know, at least they they eventually started to protect her in that way and didn't, you know, try to take advantage of my mom's situation. But, yeah, um, after she got out of the, the adult um, daycare, um, you know, she was kind of left to her own devices. Uh, she would do checkups here and there. Or at least based on what my sister's saying. And I'm not pointing to blame in terms of my sister being a a caregiver. My sister definitely had her own issues um, that she needed to take care of. But um, long story short, um, you know, she did the best that she could. And that's, I'm not arguing that. I just wish that, you know, we could have done, done a little bit better you know, done, you know, done my mother right in terms of taking care of her or maybe pushing harder to the doctors to say, hey, what's this? How do we take care of this? What do we need to do? What do we, you know, that's something I'll never, ever be able to get past. And that's part of the guilt that I hold. But she was a very sweet woman, even with her mental uh, uh, capacity, diminished capacity. She still was a sweet woman. And she, again, like I said, she always remembered her kids. And I think even on my mom's deathbed, I, I, I want to say that my mother still desired for all of us to be together or at least to be able to see us one last time because she actually did not die until she had seen all of us. So um, after she saw my uh, brother on, on that Friday or that Saturday, I'm sorry, um, yeah. She, um, you know, was on the decline and, uh, unfortunately, uh, decided, uh, well, not unfortunately, she decided to go on home. So, um, you know, it was, it was tough. It was tough, but I did get a chance to see her as, you know, clear as possible, you know, not, not as incapacitated, you know, being in the hospital, I think was definitely a situation where she had to realize her where she was and um i don't think it had hit her in the face as much as she as much as it had been in the past but she pretty much was able to roam and do whatever she wanted to do um but uh, yeah I, I don't know if she knew if this was it for her but i do know that when she did leave I feel confident in knowing that she knew that it was time, you know, and there was no fighting or anything. 
I just remember telling my mom, you know, if it's okay, you, if you got to go, you got to go. You know, it's, it's fine. We're not going to be mad. And uh, having that conversation, letting her know that we're, you know, we're here. And we are, we, you know, we'll be sad, but we'll be fine. You know, giving her the peace of mind of knowing that we'll be okay, even after, you know, she's gone. Um, because she was holding on. You could tell she wasn't ready to go. You know, you know, sometimes, you know, people will hold on, you know, knowing that their circumstances isn't the great greatest because they fear what will happen to their loved ones. And I wanted that burden to not be on her. So, you know, um, I told her, I said, if you got to go home, go home. And, um, you know, I think when she uh, when she died, she was ready. She was ready to go. I mean, with the mental illness that my mom went through. Not on top of the other medical uh, external stuff in terms of mom's, you know, uh, being amputated, you know, blood clots and all the other, you know, medical issues that she had going on. Her quality of life wouldn't have been great. So it was a tough decision that I had to make. Um, And I, you know, I'll get into the story in terms of, well, maybe I won't. I was going to, yeah, maybe I won't. But, you know, my mom was a very nice woman, very sweet, you know, uh, mostly childlike, I remember. And, you know, my my experience with dealing with my mother was up until I was about eight years old, where she was mom. And then from eight on, dealing with my mom as being her caregiver in some way. And even even though I knew my mom was, quote unquote, crazy, I still wanted my mother, you know. Um, I still wanted to be with her. I still wanted to to be close to her. Um, You know, so there would be times where I would tell my dad I would want to go stay with my grandmother because my grandmother is um, my... uh, My grandmother's... A good portion before she passed away was my mom's caregiver. So, you know, I used to tell him that I would want to go and see her and spend some time with her and, you know, go get her groceries and, you know, all this other stuff to make sure I took care of her. So my mom has always had a special place in my heart. But, you know, over time when, you know, the circumstances arise, you know, you you wonder, you know, what, you wonder how you're going to do it. And with me not being an Albany I knew my mom had, you know, her, Albany was her safe place, right? So to take my mom out of that element, when I did decide to go into the military and do what I did, you know, um, it just didn't seem feasible. No matter how much I would have wanted that, I don't think it would have been a good decision for her. So that never happened. But I do feel that my one sister has a little bit of resentment towards us. And I mean, my other siblings, because of her having to be the caregiver for my mom, even though she didn't want to be. And it was only because of proximity. She stayed in Albany and Trina stayed in Albany, you know. Um, But, you know, that's another thing I wish I could have changed, you know, and actually, you know, put forth an effort to, to, to be involved more you know, in in her life, you know, even with me being away. So, 
But yeah, you know, she was a, a sweet lady that lived 70 years old. And I surmise that if my mom had not gone through this mental, uh, you know, breakdown, I, I surmise that we would have been very close. I definitely would have been a mama's boy. And she definitely would have been my inner voice, you know, that inner voice that, you know, would have been like, don't do this, don't do that, you know. Um, but, you know, she was a great woman and I love her and I miss her dearly. And I'm still on that path of recovery when it comes to dealing with her death. Sometimes I forget. Sometimes I remember. And it makes me sad all over again. So that's what grieving does, you know, even though it's been five months. And I don't know if I'll ever be okay. You know, in terms of um, really feeling like, I don't know. I don't know if I, I don't know if I'll completely feel whole, I say, you know, I think I will always have that, that hole in my heart, you know, where my mom used to be. Um, but I can tell you with Carlos, he's definitely made it easy for me to grieve for her. And, uh, you know, life with him is amazing. So I'm thankful for him being in my life. And, um, you know, I'm just going to continue to go to therapy and continue to have these conversations, you know, to about healing and, you know, focusing on being the best person I can be and hoping that people would want to join that process too. All right. Well, that's about all I got. Um, I hope you guys enjoy. Um, I'm going back on hiatus. This is just a bonus episode to just check in with you guys and, and let you know that I'm still here. I'm still thriving. I'm getting through as best as I can, uh, as best as possible. And I promise you guys I'll be coming back in September. So you guys enjoy the rest of your day. Don't forget to subscribe, like, share, follow. Um, and uh, also patronize some of those businesses. Uh, Worthy Cakes, really good business. If you're in the Colorado area, go by and check out, um, you know, Andrea's uh, Colombian, uh, La Rola. Colombian food, really good food. Um, yeah, go by and check out those places and tell them that Reggie sent you. All right, you guys enjoy the rest of your day. We love you over here. Thanks again. And this has been another episode of Reggie's Expressions. All right, guys, peace. <laughs>